Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Back, a podcast presented by Top Shelf Lax. Today is Saturday, August 8th, and just like that, we are down to our final PLL game following Thursday night's semifinals. The Chaos, the seventh seed, pulled off their second consecutive upset in round one on Tuesday. The winless Chaos team from the group play knocked out Chrome 19-14, and on Thursday night in the first semifinal game, they upset the Archers, the three seed, 13 to 9 and just like that the chaos are headed to the championship series final and in the second semifinal, the late game it was scheduled to start at 10 30 but I don't think it got going until like 11 30 the Columbus Blue Jackets Toronto Maple Leafs they ended up going to overtime and delaying that start I don't know why they didn't just start this game on gold and then pick it up on NBC Sports when the hockey game finished but that's that's another conversation it was another late one but we are not complaining it's the last PLL after dark game that we will have for probably some time and it did not disappoint the whip snakes the top seed they came into this elimination tournament as the only unbeaten team and their record stays perfect as they hold off the redwoods in overtime 13 to 12 punching their ticket to sunday's final which is now set the whip snakes and the chaos will meet for the second time in this tournament on sunday afternoon at 12 30 eastern on nbc the last time these two teams met was just a week ago Last Friday, the Whipsnakes handled business in a 12-7 to win, but don't expect this to be any sort of cakewalk for Jim Stagnita and this team. This is a much different chaos team than a week ago. We will get into all of that and more in this show. I'm your host, Ryan Holstbus. Ty Cunnington here is back after some technical difficulties on Thursday. We tried on the phone. Uh, Ty was walking around his house trying to go outside. It wasn't working. He ended, you had you had power. You just didn't have service, right, or Wi-Fi. And- yeah, so – nothing uh yeah so we had power the whole like day that we actually had the storm i think it flickered once uh but yeah we had cable and internet the whole rest of the day and then at the night like within like the first quarter of the archers um archers game with the uh, chaos or i'm sorry with the whatever atlas. they played atlas sorry the uh, Archer's Atlas game, it went off just out of nowhere. The screen went black. I was like, the heck's going on? And then my internet wasn't working. So it went out for some reason later on in the day when there was no storm or anything. And then it took me until yesterday afternoon to uh, where it came on. So that was definitely nice with the games being on later. But I was definitely worried about how I was going to be able to watch what would have been or was two great games. Yeah, I end up. I said it on the show on a Thursday. I lost power. I think it flickered a couple times during the day, because I was home during the day. I just really wasn't on my computer or anything. I think it was flickering a couple times during the day. A tree branch in my neighbor's yard ended up coming down right on the the wires, so they were all on the floor. So they fortunately fixed that yesterday. We had a generator, so I was able to record our show the other day. Um, but yeah, now it's all fixed. We're all good, and. Uh, we're going to get going into talking about these semifinals and this final. Before we get started, I want to let you all know that if you are new to the show, make sure to subscribe. Behind the Back is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Anchor, and really whatever podcast platform you are using. We also now have show clips on YouTube. If you don't want to listen to the whole show, you can watch individual clips on specific topics that we talk about in the show on YouTube. So make sure to check that out. The channel is called Top Shelf Lacks. Make sure to like and subscribe. And you can follow at Top Shelf Lacks underscore on Instagram and Twitter. Also make sure to share the show with someone that likes lacrosse or that has an interest in lacrosse. If they're interested in the PLL and if they want weekly coverage and opinions on news and updates of the fastest growing league and the fastest growing sport in the country, as well as coverage of the PLL championship series, which is quickly coming to an end, share the show with them, send the podcast, YouTube link, send them our social media handles, and we can follow along together as we approach the end of this championship series. You, uh, we will be back on Monday to recap this final between the Whipsnakes and Chaos. You don't want to miss that, so make sure to subscribe, follow, like, retweet, share our show. Anything helps us, guys, and I want, you know, I want to let you all know that we really appreciate it. Let's get right into talking about this first game, Chaos and Archers. It was on NBC Gold last uh, on Thursday night. The Chaos get the win 13-9, to their second upset in a row here in the playoffs after going uh, winless through the group play. 0-4, they really didn't look that great. Blaze Reardon was stellar through the group play. He continues to play really well here uh, in this elimination tournament, but the chaos offense is the big uh, topic that we're going to be talking about today because this chaos offense is doing what we expected them to do 
through the group play. I mean, they, they were quiet in the group play, and now coming into this elimination tournament, they have been absolutely unbelievable. No Connor Fields, which is something that we didn't have the, the uh, opportunity to talk about together on Thursday, so we can talk about it today. Connor Fields not being there is, is doing – or I don't know if it's Connor Fields not being in the lineup. I mean, he hasn't touched the field yet in this elimination tournament. I think it's Miles Thompson being on the field. Miles Thompson is making a huge impact uh, offensively for this team. Yeah, I think that um, I think no matter what, you know, you're you're seeing that clearly the offense is doing, you know, just fine. Um, I think it's you know between this this last night's game and the first round, they had the same amount of goals as they had in the first four group play games, which is just insane. Um, but again, you know, like you said, that's kind of what we were expecting the offense to look like on paper. We were like, wow, look at all these, you know, look at all these names, and it was whether or not they could mesh together. So now we expected maybe some a slower start, but definitely not all four games. Um, but I think you st- you saw in that last Waterhogs game, things start you know sort of went uh, started to you know look a lot better, and then it sort of carried into that first elimination round where they you know pounded the Chrome. But you know in terms of Connor Fields, um, you know when t- when Andy Towers you know asked about it, you know in the halftime of the Chrome game, at the end of the Chrome game, before this game. You know, he really kind of just dodged the question. You know, he was like, yeah, you know, we're kind of just, you know, we're just focused on, you know, what's, you know, what's working and then blah, blah, blah. So I, I think there's like, there's no question. He just simply thinks that the, the, the offense is better off without, you know, without Connor Fields in the lineup. And, you know, I don't know how much you can argue that given the, the results. And, um, you know, and I can I, I can kind of understand it as a, as a move. You know, they are moving the ball incredibly well. Um, you know, I think Tower's argument was that it tends to you know die in his stick a lot, or which we we you know, said that too leading up to this tournament that we heard from training camp that the ball was moving, pinging around for this chaos uh, offense. And we were like, last season, it seemed to die in Connor Fields' stick all the time. And he tried to go against guys one-on-one. And he was successful. So it's like you have that argument too. But this summer was a little bit different. Yeah, it, you know, he's prone to turning the ball over. He led last year the league in, in, in turnovers by at least like 10. Um, so I think Tower's idea was just, hey, look, I mean, if we're watching this offense – in these last two games, it's been a ton of, you know, two man games, uh, everyone almost above goal line extended certain times, you know, when they have the Canadian midfield lineup and, and movement and sort of just motion kind of offense where I just don't, I think it finally realized, you know, I think the coach towers finally realized that they just can't have a one, three, two offense. They, 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 they're just not built to have a guy initiating from behind and dishing it out just like every other team. Uh, and I think he realized that, you know, kind of maybe like a two, 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 or, you know, the three, three, the three, three above the cage, um, just all these different looks with these lineups. I think they finally figured out what works and Connor Fields isn't a part of it. So it's definitely interesting. Obviously he's one of the bigger names in this entire league. Um, so I'm going to be intrigued to see what happens in this off season. If uh, there's any kind of, uh, if he gets dealt anywhere, if he moves around, I know we were, we were talking about that in our, our group chat yesterday but you know regardless they've been successful they're in a championship game and I can't imagine he plays in this either so we'll uh, we'll see if that pays off yeah in terms of him moving the trade dead uh, the trade period this offseason opened right after the expansion draft now I mean I'm thinking that we're gonna have at least one more expansion team this offseason who knows but it would probably have to be at the trade deadline if he was to get traded it would have to be after uh, the trade, it would have to be after the expansion draft. So he would, if Towers wants to trade him, he would have to protect him most likely. I mean, if I'm an expansion coach, I'm most likely going to draft Connor Fields. Maybe he doesn't fit in this chaos offense, but Connor Fields is still an unbelievable lacrosse player, an unbelievable attackman. So you can't, you know, just base that off him being benched in, in this tournament just because he doesn't fit the chaos offense. But they were still able to figure it out. I mean, uh, Eric Scott had that goal from, from behind where he dodged uh, from the corner. So we saw them being able to initiate from behind. But as you're saying, they did a lot from above the goal uh, early in the game. Transition was a, was a, big, uh, a big emphasis there. We saw Patrick Resch find the, the, the goal on that transition goal. He went, bounced it to Byrne. Byrne bounced it right back to him, and he was able to find the back of the net. That's a one, one big thing, too. You look at some changes here for chaos. They made that change uh, with their midfield 
where now they have that American line and that Canadian line. I believe they said Kevin Buchanan was originally on that American line. They switched him over to run with Dane Smith and Austin Stotts, which Austin Stotts uh, has been playing very well here through these two elimination tournament games. And then you even bring up the argument, could Connor Fields run out of the box as a midfielder? But it's like you have these six guys. Where are you going to fit him in with, you know, with the first line being Salcedo, uh, Jake Vaccaro, and – blanking on the third name here, Eric Scott. And then now you have Austin Stotts, uh, Dane Smith, and Kevin Buchanan on that other, the Canadian midfield line. So where are you going to fit Connor Fields in there? I think I agree with you. I don't, I don't think he sees the field here in this, in this final either. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't, you know, I was, I was sort of expecting, you know, talking about next season even, but you know, I, I don't, I don't think he would play at all. Um, I think they're going to ride with what's been working. Um, I think that change at the midfield was really smart. You know, you notice with that uh, Canadian lineup, uh, those three guys, you know, they kind of shift the offense where everyone's above GLE. Like I was mentioning before, you've got uh, all the righties on the right side and all the lefties on the left. And it's kind of basically sort of like a box offense in a sense with everybody, you know, above the goal, there's nothing working from behind. And uh, you're kind of just working a bunch of two mans and uh, looking for some skips, and, you know, it worked. And then when they had the other lineup out, they kind of switched back to, you know, a normal guy behind the goal um, with more of those middies getting room to dodge because that's kind of how – that's more of their game. So it's really interesting that they figured out this way to, to, to play it with the personnel, which is kind of what our question mark was about them, was were they going to be able to figure out how to manage such, uh, you know, a ample amount of weapons uh, with, with different styles. And um, it's worked. It's, it's impressive to me. I think they, they went from being one of the worst offenses. Like I said, the last two games, they tied the amount of goals they scored in the first four. But in terms of uh, among the league, um, they're tied for second uh, with goals like scored now. So, I mean, they, they made a huge jump and you just, and you saw it because you clearly, you know, it, it's not hard to see that, you know, these kind of players can do what they do because they've, they've been showing out. So I think the uh, chaos are in a good spot, I guess, as far as to, you know, circle back to the Connor Fields thing, you know, I don't know how he gets moved or if he does at all, if, you know, it's just for this tournament sake, you know, maybe in a longer season, they ride with him. I have no idea, but it, it's definitely interesting. And, you know, there's other teams that could probably use somebody like him or an expansion team. I don't know if we see an expansion um, after this, just because of the, the amount of money and stuff you need to do that. I don't know. I think this definitely hurt them rather than having a full season. So we'll see how that, how that shakes out. Could be wrong. There could be one, but I just feel like, you know, you need, they definitely need uh, a lot of money to be safe to, to pull that off. So I could see that happening maybe next year. Or, I mean, the year after next year in terms of expansion, and maybe that's where he would go. But in the meantime, I'm not really sure. In terms of contracts, because I know you were bringing this up. I saw you tweet about it a couple times. Um, each player signed two-year contracts. So I, I'd imagine some probably even signed one year. But at the beginning when this all started, they signed two-year contracts. So I think the plan, at least we're, we're going to at least play two full seasons, even if, you know, this whole PLL thing ended up folding. The, the plan was at least to do two full seasons. So we don't know what Connor Fields' contract situation looks like. We don't know if it's expired. I wouldn't imagine he'd, you know, sign with the MLL. I just – would he be available now to sign with any other team, being that he's, his contract's now expired. But well, one thing that we've been seeing, we talked about it when we had uh, some of these contracts that we were seeing uh, back, I believe, in June and early July when we saw a couple of these guys sign extensions – they're signing with the league. They're not signing with these individual teams. They're signing with the league. So that was one we don't know is if his contract expires, does he, is he able to then be a free agent and sign with a different team? We don't know. Connor Fields isn't playing, but Josh Byrne has been absolutely unbelievable uh, through these two games. He's got 12 points. Uh, I think he had four goals and three assists in that first semifinal game. So I'll put it at six goals or not seven six assists. goals, seven goals and six assists. Uh, six goals and seven assists between last – this elimination round and, and last night. So Josh Byrne playing unbelievable. He had that uh, between the legs, probably I'd say a top three all-time goal uh, lacrosse-wise. That was absolutely unbelievable. I'm pretty sure uh, – I mean, Paul Burmeister was lost for words on that one. Uh, but Josh Byrne 
is playing unbelievable right now. Uh, and I, I remember Joe Keegan brought it up. I don't think it's a bad argument. Josh Byrne for MVP is definitely a conversation that we need to start having because he is – I mean, you look at the group play. The group play was important because you wanted to establish yourself as a team. You wanted to try to seed yourself good for this tournament. But it all came down to this elimination tournament. This is what, you know, these guys were preparing for. And Josh Byrne is producing here in this elimination tournament. If, his, if, his, they can, if he performs well in this championship game, which the one thing we were talking about before we started, the MVP of this league – we don't know how that's going to be decided. We don't know when they're going to announce it, but it seems like it would have to be from the team that at least either is in the final or most likely wins the final. I think really the only thing you, the only I think argument you can make is probably for Joe Nardella. If the Chaos end up winning this game, I think Joe Nardella has a very very good case for MVP. But Josh Byrne is putting together a phenomenal uh, last two games here in this elimination tournament. Yeah, I I, I think that. You know, he, he – it's interesting because um, I think what you'll see is if, you know, between both of the offenses that are now in the championship, it's basically offenses that get goals from all over. You know, you've got, you know, a ton of the midi, different middies scoring for the whips. You know, you've got guys like Brad Smith now out of nowhere gets six points last night, you know, being a really a, a big distributor and, and then getting a goal of his own. Uh, and then, you know, conversely with – you know, chaos, it's, you know, I think, you know, I'm, I'm trying to look at the, the beginning of the game here. You know, it's, it's Patrick Resch, it's Eric Scott, Eric Scott again, Mark Glassini. Um, Salcido had the first one. But in terms of getting goals out of those other players, it's kind of the same thing with the whips. You know, there were other guys that we didn't know how they were going to contribute, and they have, and they've definitely been able to. So I think it's, it's interesting where both of these offense kind of like, sort of have like a, a holistic identity while obviously you can, you know, tie things back to someone like Rambo or Williams being like an anchor point um, or, you know, Byrne being, you know, the consistent point getter. Uh, it's definitely going to be an interesting argument to make for the MVP because if, you know, a game like last night, Rambo and Williams combined for double donuts, they had no points and they still won, you know, like everyone else is able to do things kind of just like with the chaos, you know, guy like Connor Fields is out of the lineup. You know, you, you still got star names, but the game against the Water Dogs when it went to overtime, Byrne had, I think, an assist. You know, it's other guys being able to do things. So it's not that either team has a necessarily dominant player because we thought Rambo was going to roll in last night to doing exactly what he did in the game before, putting up at least, you know, five points of some sort. You know, I'm not going to knock the Redwoods. They have an outstanding defense. I think that can't be overlooked. We'll get to that game in a second when we kind of, once we get past this, but, you know, regardless, you know, both of those guys, even game planned against like, you know, really, you know, the great players are, are, are still going to work around that. Um, and they both had zero points. So I think it's going to be interesting with this championship that you could see a combo of, you know, the chaos winning, but maybe it's not a huge offensive output. And, you know, blaze has another unreal game. Like maybe it goes to blaze for, you know, the consistent play, of being valuable to your team every game because that's essentially what an MVP is. Those guys, Russell Westbrook, James Harden, those MVPs, they didn't take off during the season. They con they were full throttle on the pedal. So I think Blaze could get the argument if it's not an out a crazy, you know, offensive game. Conversely, you know, say Rambo or, or Williams has a really good game and but Nardella still has a good one. I think you lean with Nardella because they had no points in the game before this. Rambo, like you kind of were saying the other day, half his points came in one game, you know, it's such a total whole offense. I don't know if you can lean that way unless, you know, he does another thing of like a hat trick game winning goal in overtime or something again. But I think it's, um, I think it's definitely going to be a really cool sort of both teams having two ish guys that could get it depending on how the game rolls out. Blaze Reardon, even in this one, didn't put up 20 saves. He had 18. So just below 20 saves, 67%. Unbelievable. I, like, I don't I know how. Like it's, it's kind of the same idea of Nardella being how insanely high his percentage is and how he's been playing. I feel like it carries the same way. Like yeah. an impressive hard position that's individual. Doesn't rely on anyone else, really. Well, Joe Nardella will tell you his wings are a, a big reason right, why I think he's that's successful. Really the only, the only other variable, but yeah. he Wing still play. has almost 60 ground balls. So. Yeah. 
Oh no, Jordan. He's got a ton of ground balls. So, yeah, I think he, he leads the league by a fairly wide margin. We brought it up, I believe, on Tuesday. I was like, he's got like 42 going into the elimina- uh, the elimination tournament. I think Connor Farrell was next at like 20 something. So, yes, huge, 57 uh, as of 57 as of last night, and Farrell is next with 34. Yeah, so a huge huge gap there in ground balls. Sticking on faceoff, Tommy Kelly finally. Uh, put together a good outing here. You went 14 to 26, 54%. I believe this is his first game above 50%. So he finally put together a good outing against the tandem of Stephen Kelly and Brendan Fowler. So that was a, a big time game. I know we saw early the Cavs were kind of doing some double pull and then they, they went. Tyson Bell picked up a pull. He put the pull down. He picked it up again. He was going back and forth there based on penalties there uh, throughout the game. Just chaos rolling along here. The seven seed back-to-back upsets. I think defensively, too, you look defensively, this Jack Rowlett being back was big Huge. deal. Huge. Big deal. Yeah. And I think, you know, we'll get into it when we preview the game at the end of this um, for the championship at least. But um, the – for you know, for the Woods last night, like I was saying, being how outstanding they were defensively, obviously holding both of those guys to no points. Um, and really eliminating some of the, to to an extent, a lot of that really great passing and ball movement and at least dodging, you know, at least not worrying about sending those slides. It was kind of them picking them apart, which, you know, it's the whips offense, you know, they're, they're still going to be able to score. Uh, but they were a really good, did a really good job of limiting that. I think that's where the, the chaos are going to run into issues just because they don't have nearly the same defense. Um, you know, they were able to play, went really pretty well against the archers so they held them to nine goals you know that, that's a that's a team who was tied for first in terms of gold scores and they were tied and for second all the these chaos. weapons offensively too so <clears throat> you know they did a really good job Rowlett, i think was guarding amen who did a great job um him coming back you know kind of just to your point is definitely big you know i was worried he was going to be out for the whole rest of the playoffs and now that he's back you know they still got great shorties and they've guys got who can go up and down so i think that's um that's really going to be the key thing to look at is how the defense shows out against this whips team, because we showed, you know, that was the closest game the whips have been in all year was with the woods last night, which we'll segue into here. But I think, you know, between Tommy Kelly, which is how you kind of began this tangent had a great game. Um, and, but, and, you know, I don't know how well he'll fare against um, Nardella. I'm trying to, I'm going to see what it was when they played last um when it was 12 to 7 it appears the face-offs was 82 to 18 in favor of the whips so it might be a similar outing for Nardella but as we saw last night you know almost 70 percent again but it went to overtime mm-hmm. so you know and we kind of saw that with the chaos whip snake scored three goals in the uh second half we saw that with the chaos and uh chrome game Tommy Kelly I think it was the same thing 80 to 20% in favor of Connor Farrell and the chaos won by six, five or six. And they were up at, you know, eight, 19, 11 at one point. So face-offs are big, but to an extent, they, they, they like, they, they aren't, they, it's not a do or die. It's not the be all end all. So that could be the case here. If the chaos offense is going to be clicking again, where even if they're losing that, if they're going to be able to get those balls back, get possessions back from the whips, especially with blaze and net, getting their transition game through, you know, I think they're going to be able to score enough um, despite losing out on that edge. Of course, I say that now and I could be wrong, but in terms of just touching on Kelly, you know, it was a good game, but we obviously also know that Fowler and the other Kelly, you know, aren't the the greatest duo themselves either going up Nardella is going to be a much bigger challenge. Yeah, no, Nardella is going to be a much, much bigger uh, challenge here for Tommy Kelly. Before we move on, I want to talk about the Archers quick, but uh, betting first. So the Archers were favored by, I believe, two and a half. I think some books had them two at three and a half. I didn't touch that. I I wanted to, I actually kind of wanted to take Chaos plus, so it was two and a half. I wanted to take Chaos plus two and a half. I didn't just because I didn't like the, uh, the odds on that. I should have, I mean, I, I thought the Archers were going to win. I, I had the Archers winning. I didn't put anything on that i had the over dane smith i tweeted i said thank you you liked it thank you dane smith for liking my uh my tweet i thank you for all the overtakers because that goal with 10 however many seconds were left in the game hit the over so <laughs> thank you dane smith we all appreciate it moving uh the archers here marcus holman finally 
I mean, they're not going to be continuing to this tournament. But Marcus Holman finally found the back of the net a few times, three goals. He had that one garbage goal on the uh, really good ride. I'm not sure who it was that was on the ride, though, that forced the uh, turnover. I think, uh, I think on the dive. Yeah. I think Ambler tipped it. And incredible athletic play to be diving and chip it into the net. Um, or quick stick it, whatever that was. Blaze just didn't even know where it was. That was that was a big goal. They needed everything they could get at that point um, to, to try to, to bring it back to being, a, you know, one possession. Um, it was – yeah, I mean, it was impressive. Holman definitely – I don't want to say he struggled. It, it just kind of felt like the offense was just working fine without him. And so – He was in know, there. It was just – it seemed like Amen – well, Amen and Manny just were the, the two focal points yeah. of the offense. And they were just yeah, producing – yeah, I think that, and then between the midfielders like Ambler, McIntosh, McKay, and and um, or not McIntosh, but McKay, and obviously Tom Schreiber. I think you know, I think they just sort of figured it out, and Holman just wasn't really in the equation. He was getting some shots, but it almost felt like he didn't really even hear his name much. Um, besides, you know, a good ride or um, you know him getting an assist maybe, but. Um, definitely a quieter tournament. And obviously he showed, you know, it wasn't really proving anything. It was kind of just, yeah, this is, you know, Holman. We know he can finish, he can score. So um, it was a good game for him. I think just, yeah, no, yeah. He went, you know, obviously went from being number one. I had him, I had him as my number, we had him as the number three fantasy attack. And we're going to be looking at that next week, how our fantasy rankings did. We didn't do very well there on uh, picking Marcus Holman being one of the top fantasy producers at attack. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody could have really foresaw that. Everyone was seemed to be on the train that, you know, he meant between him and Manny, it was going to be a party. Um, but I, just, I think the, the Archers as a whole, you know, they, they still have a good team. I think they need to address face-offs. I think especially in this college draft, there's a ton of guys. I think every team might honestly take one outside of the teams that have really two guys already. But I think they're definitely going to get a face-off guy. I think that's really the one thing that would help them out. But I, just as a team, I thought they were good. They obviously were. They went three, three and one, you know, came in as favorites for this game, obviously. Something in the back of my mind just kept, I just never felt that confident in them. They kept, they had two very close games down to the wire with the Atlas. They had one that was close with the Water Dogs. You know, every game they kind of played them was close. They never handled the team really well. They'd make some bad turnovers in the end of the game. They would, you know, run out in some on shot clocks you know they there was just not enough where you know in the back of my mind I was like you know chaos might come into this rolling offensively still and like I wouldn't put it past them to win and then they did there's just something about them where I just never felt fully confident in them and I think that was kind of the issue you can't have those doubts about a team trying to win a championship so you know I think they they looked good they they always they did through all four games um, I think there's just a little, a few other pieces that they need to, to really, uh, to really wrap things up for themselves as a team. We will see come the offense uh, if they make those additions. Obviously, we don't know. Come, we don't know if there's gonna be an expansion draft. We don't know how that will all play out. We'll we'll be definitely, you know, hearing about that and finding out over the next months and you know weeks and and whatnot. Uh, but Marcus Holman, I know Ryan Boyle did say on Tuesday when they played the Atlas, he's like, yeah, like Marcus Holman's not putting points on the board, but he's out there the entire time. They're not pulling him off. And he said he's doing a lot off ball. He's doing a ton off ball. Like every time Will Manny gets open, he's like, it's because Marcus Holman did something to make sure that, you know, to help Will Manny get open. And that's obviously just them, you know, living together and coaching together and being around each other, you know all the time and, and training together all off season. So he's like, they have that, that chemistry. He's like, every time Will Manny's open, he's like, every time you see him get a wide open shot off, it's most likely off a Marcus Holman pick or, you know, something like that, that, that helped him get open. So Marcus Holman's still playing well and doing his job and playing his role just obviously wasn't putting the goals and points numbers that uh, I think we expected, which maybe next season will be different. Again, we had him as our number three fantasy uh, attackman, which we kind of predicted him to be one of the top goal scorers in the league. I think we had Matt Rambo and I'm not sure who we had at number two, but I'm pretty sure we had another, like another assist guy, like someone that's going to dominate assists, put up a lot of assist numbers. So we expected Marcus Holman to be one of the top goal scorers. He wasn't in this tournament, but still did his job. Tom Schreiber had two goals as well in this game. Defensively, I, I just don't 
again, Josh Byrne, I don't know how you stop. Some of the goals that he had were unbelievable. Uh, Curtis Dixon, a hat trick in the third quarter alone. But yeah, this defense or uh, this offense for chaos just clicking. And they are moving on now to the championship. That seg segues us pretty nicely in to that uh, other semifinal game. The Whipsnakes and Redwoods. The Whipsnakes got it done 13-12 to in overtime. But at halftime, this game was 9-6. to At one point, this game was 8-2 to Whipsnakes. So the Whipsnakes in the third quarter scored all three of their goals. They went scoreless in the fourth quarter. And then obviously, Jeremy Sieverts got the game winner in overtime. But the Redwoods, I mean, they did not give up. They did not let up. They scored five goals in the third quarter to get right back into it, to be down a goal. They were able to tie it up in the fourth quarter. Very low-scoring uh, fourth quarter. The fourth quarter went by incredibly fast um, just because we had that one. The only goal was Garnsey uh, in, like, the, around the three-minute mark. That was the only goal uh, of that entire fourth quarter. And, uh, yeah, but the Whipsnakes – Rolling, as you said before, Brad Smith, five assists with his goal. He was playing really well. Um, and, yeah, we're going to see the Whipsnakes and Chaos in the in the final. Yeah, I, I think in this game, you know, like I was saying with the Chaos um, in, in their game, you know, you kind of saw, you know, a bunch of other faces sort of taking uh, the role of scoring, you know, despite them still winning and, and Rambo and, and Williams having zero points combined, you know, they, they still won. Uh, so that really shows, you know, I mean, you get you got three points out of Shannon Chuck, you know, who was just dropping lasers whenever he was open. I mean, Michael Earhart, just out of the woodwork. I mean, we knew he can, we knew that he can shoot, but he hadn't really done much yards out the whole season. Literally scored from twenty yards, and Trouter didn't even move. I mean, it was that hard and well placed of an off hip shot that he just didn't even know what to do. Um, pulls another two pointer, um, and and then has an assist staying on the field instead of getting off, throws a skip over the defense uh, to wide open to uh, Tuttle, I think it was, um, who scored, which is when it made it 8-2. to two. That's when we were like, Jesus Christ. I mean, are they just going to roll the wood? Like, they're just going to roll over the woods, you know, by like 10 goals and then go into the championship. And that was 8-2 to two early in the second quarter. And then, as you said, you know, they mount that comeback the rest of the quarter and then go into half with a, a close game and then, you know, from then on out of his madness. Um, you know, as far as the rest of the whips, like you said, you know, Smith getting in on the, on the assist column, you know, uh, Rambo and obviously them uh, didn't have any points uh, as I've reiterated a bunch, but um, the rest of the team, you know, Earhart five points, you know, between those two things, those two goals and an assist Carlson had another four goal outing, you know, just doing what he does, finishing the ball in tight, um, Shannon Chuck had the two and the, and then the assist, uh, and then a bunch of other, you know, sporadic assists from random guys here and there. John Hall is a rather quiet game. Definitely one assist. John Hall has um, drawed the pole for pretty much the entirety yeah. of that game, which I think he definitely earned after these mm -hmm. last few games, you know, Absolutely. he proven to be one of the, you know, as we, as we kept hearing one of the top, you know, middies in the game, you know, points wise, at least he was. Um, Nardella had another great outing as we already talked about and Sieverts longtime veteran. Um, how old is he? Let's see. I was very surprised to see him out there in that situation, but then pretty, I mean, you, you think about it, like you weren't expecting him to, uh, get the, I mean, to, to get the ball and dodge. I mean, he had a short, he had Pat Harbison, who's a very good short stick defensive midfielder. He just got that step, opened the hips on the run, found the back of the net. Incredible shot. Yeah unbelievable bouncer on the run like that to be able to place that top pipe man oh man he's uh he graduated he's another maryland guy graduated in 09 so we're talking about a veteran of veterans quite honestly and that's pretty awesome to be able to get one of those obviously when it matters uh the most i'm sure most of those guys were pumped uh when that happened on top of winning the game but you know to see a guy get a get get to get the limelight like that um, but, but kind of, but kind of like, you know, just like I've been saying, you know, other guys able to do stuff when your two biggest stars were held to, uh, held really great defensively. And I think that's still something to look at in terms of the woods to shift away from the whips, because we kind of already know, you know, about them. I think they showed, you know, it's kind of just like a little bit too late, you know, uh, sort of, you know, uh, I guess I don't want to say attitude, but you know, just situation, I guess, just, it's unfortunate. They weren't able to really 
click like this, you know, maybe earlier in the season to really get themselves going uh, heading into the playoffs rather than just sort of find it in the playoffs. Um, they were obviously, you know, a Brent Adams inches away from that Gary Gate goal from going in, and that would have been unbelievable. Unreal. And they would have won. You know, Brennan Gleason's a pipe away from, you know, going up by one at the end of the fourth quarter. You know, they had a bunch of opportunities for sure. They, they definitely, the Whips didn't play their greatest game, but that was the thing. You can't let the Woods hang around. I think that's become their identity. You can't let them get on a five-goal run in the championship because then they send it to overtime there. Same thing here. You know, nobody thought the Whips were going to be able to, you know, do it defensively stood pat and then offensively they're going blow for blow you know like we were saying before this you know once it was nine seven they made it nine eight it stayed within two goals the whole rest of the game it was it was um, eight to two the whip snakes were off a 4-0 run and then all of a sudden the redwoods went on their own 4-0 run and then yeah. the uh, whip snakes were held to three goals in the third quarter the redwoods won and, and scored five and then as you, you they just they were in it they it was close obviously they and, tied it up at the know, end of the fourth went to overtime yeah, I mean, they showed they showed resilience. You know, that's the thing you keep hearing about this team and about Coach St. Laurent is that, you know, they just got a bunch of guys who just don't really give up and they fight every time. You know, they're, they're a really great riding team between Kavanaugh and Garnsey. Um, those guys don't give up in terms of the other team clearing the ball. And this was the best defensive unit there was. And Kyle Bernlar, Bernlar didn't have a bad day, but he definitely didn't have anywhere near that, you know, the performances that we've been, you know, seeing out of him. And defensively, you know, um, Matt Cavanaugh, you know, a guy like that who after the first game had a couple of those highlight great shots, you know, we kind of didn't really see much of him after that. And then all of a sudden he takes over again with four goals and an assist or just four goals, I think. Four goals and assist. Yeah, so it pops off. I mean, he leads the way. I mean, th those are things we know he can do. Um, it just kind of ties back to that, like, shouldn't have taken this long. Like, we, sh we should have been seeing him sort of – demanding slides like that or or cutting off ball and having guys bounce off of him, you know, because he just takes over. I mean, we saw that through his whole Notre Dame career. Same thing with Ryder Garnsey, who came up with a couple of great assists and, and two goals. Um, I think this is really good, a really good game for them as a whole between goaltending, great timely saves by Troutner, you know, the defense playing unreal um, versus the best offense. And their offense really coming out of the – really waking up essentially after also being a rather weak offense, kind of like the chaos. Um, it was a great game. And I think they're in a good spot for next season. They'll get Jules back. Um, maybe just barely. I don't Injuries, or I guess injury, but, you know, um, sort of, you know, effects like that when it comes to your heart, you know, and physical activity. I mean, I know people who've had similar things like that. And it, it's a while before you're fully able to compete at that kind of level. So we'll see if he'll be able to join them for next season. Uh, given they start in, you know, seven months or so, which is a while, but you never know. But uh, with him coming back and then whoever they get in the draft, maybe they, uh, you know, face-offs improve, you know, they'll be in a spot. It, it sucks. They were definitely – they very easily could have won with it being overtime, being at a close game. Being um, the that's number what, of that's, pipes that they hit there at the end of the game. Yeah, I mean, man, oh, man. Pascolgian throws it behind the back, which almost stung the corner. I that, mean, would have been, you, that would have been even better than Josh Burns' goal, I think, if he, fin if he finished that. There was, there, that was a great game. That was definitely worth staying up to watch. Um, again, someone's got to win in overtime. You know, the Whips are obviously the, the better team, but the, the Woods definitely showed a drastic improvement in literally just one game alone uh, that they could, you know, match scoring and play defense and, and make the right plays. So um, the whips move on. It's definitely another close one. They can't shake those guys off, really. And, uh, yeah, no, another after dark treating us well. Defense for the, uh, the Woods was very, very good. Pat Harbison had three cost turnovers and three ground balls. Yes, he did have the final goal scored on him by Jeremy Sieverts, but still a great game. Harbison also had a goal. In the first half, Jack Neer had two cause turnovers, four ground balls. Garrett Eppel, two cause turnovers, three ground balls. Uh, John Sexton with two ground balls. Ukrantz had three cause turnovers. And then Nick Osello added two cause turnovers and a ground ball. So defensively, I mean, you, we're talking about the Whip Snakes, three goals in the second half, and then obviously the, the overtime game winner. But 
defensively, the Woods stepped up big in the second half to, to keep their team. And I know we talked back a couple, like, you know, last week between the Atlas and uh, Water Dogs when the Atlas ended up winning that game. Jack Con Cannon kept them in that game. This whips, uh, these, this uh, Redwoods defense kept them in this game and gave them a chance. So that's really, I mean, if you're, if you're a coach, head coach, not St. Laurent, that's really all you can ask from this, from this unit is that they kept us in, they gave us a chance. And uh, as we're saying, they had how many pipes, how many, uh, you know, just missed opportunities. Brent, I, I, when Brent Adams went airborne on that, uh, that attempt there in overtime, I thought, first of all, I thought he scored because so it, it, someone put their arm, like so, I thought he scored. Someone on the, the, the uh, Redwoods, I just saw it on the screen. Someone was going nuts. Like, they were like, he's, like I thought he scored. And then all of a sudden, it's like, no, he didn't score. It's like, just missed. But I, even just to attempt that was. Yeah, I didn't. I, I thought especially, though, especially. Uh, I thought especially after the first possession, losing out on that shot, the whips go down. Trouter makes his second save now. You get the ball in the corner. It wasn't even like to beat the shot clock. I know it almost went in, but I was like, I don't want to give the whips another chance in overtime. And lo and behold, they scored right after that. I feel like you got like you got to draw up a play. Well, I guess you can't with no timeouts, but I feel like that's maybe not the take you should. Yeah, it's not the best overtime uh, situation. To go to the championship. It's not when you should be rolling those dice. I don't know. Again, very nearly just missed. Um, but still, I was like, oh, you can't give them the ball again. And then when they do, they win. So it sucked, but that would have been unreal to touch on what you were, you were talking about before, um, before that highlight um, with the cause turnovers, they had 15 in the game. They have 70 overall. The next highest are the water dogs with 51. They blow away everybody in terms of cause turnovers and, you know, which doesn't necessarily always mean great defense. I mean, it, it does, but then someone like the whips who has 26, you know, they're not a bad defense. So, I mean, it doesn't always correlate, but th this team will hound you um, if you give them the opportunity and they'll make you cough it up. Um, as well as having 167 ground balls, which is tied for the 43, second most. 43 alone in this game. Yeah. Which, yeah, they're, they're, they're set on that end. Trouner's a good goalie. They're, they're good there. It's 43, really just 43 for the whip snakes. My bad. 24 oh, okay. for the Redwoods in this game. I was going to say, every, another thing, every team that wins always has the ground ball advantage. Um, and there you go. Holds true again. Whip Snakes, I think we saw in their morning run-through, working on ground balls. That was Joe Keeg's uh, comparison to Bill Belichick, working on tackling and blocking in the postseason. Uh, they're working on the ground balls because that's, that's what win games. Um, so uh, an awesome game, an, a great game. I was definitely happy to see the Woods compete a little better. I think – They'll have next year to really sort of figure out what the what their sort of uh, their identity really is, and maybe they'll add another a, a couple of good pieces. I think you got some question marks faceoff wise. Those the, the that little that uh that tandem there didn't quite really work out. I think as they imagined in this tournament. Um, I mean, like I said, most other teams are probably going to want to draft somebody, but you know, I, I think their pick with of Peyton Smith was maybe just for the tournament. I don't want to bash the kid. Um, I, I would love for him to make the roster next year. We'll see. Um, same thing with Piscolgian. I mean, he, he played almost worse certain games that Peyton did better. So it, it was kind of like, I don't know, maybe, maybe you try to add in another guy there, build some competition of some sort, but I don't know if you can move forward with, you know, winning at the percentages that they've been every game pretty much. Um, but again, like we said last night, and then, like, that Chrome Chaos game, Nardella, another almost 70% performance, and it was an overtime game. So, you know, to an extent, I guess it's – Connor Farrell dominated. Connor Farrell dominated, and the Chaos dominated the uh, scoreboard. So Right. So, I guess that goes against it a little bit. But I'd just be curious to see how they, you know, move with their team going forward with just the areas to improve. Because we know the defense, fine. Betting-wise, the Whipsnakes were favored at three and a half. My book had him at two and a half, so I took him at two and a half. I still liked him at three and a half, just as we were saying. The Redwoods, really, until this game, didn't show us much offensively that really we could, you know. I, I wasn't really even confident in putting the plus three and a half on him. So, I got that one wrong. The over, though, did 
Soar over was 21 and a half. This game ended up finishing at 25. So solid bet there. Um, and the Whipsnakes headed to the championship, our championship game on Sunday. So tomorrow, 12.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 p.m. Central, 9.30 p.m. Pacific, or uh, a.m. Pacific, 10.30 a.m. Uh, Central. NBC, <laughs> Whipsnakes, and Chaos. This game is going to be a great one. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Like this were, These were the two best teams in last season's regular season. And then the Chaos obviously just sputtered out uh, in the postseason. Chaos came in – or the Whipsnakes came in, you know, this summer. They're undefeated right now. They're they're five and zero. Oh. The chaos, on the other hand, went zero and four. Now they they've won two straight. The chaos win this game, this championship game. They're going to finish this tournament three and four. Three and, three and four. And win the final. Some people are complaining about that. You know, maybe not complaining, but being like, should the team that went zero and four really get a chance to win? And I was like, it'd be different if there was like ten teams, but there's only seven to begin with. Like in a tournament like this, like everyone should make the like you need to let people play more. Like I, I don't know, I, I can get, I can see the angle, but I feel like you just got to let everybody play. And then for this exact reason, you know, these guys got no training camp together. A lot of these rosters had new guys, waiver additions, um, no practicing, especially with quarantine. You know, it'd be different if these guys could still practice together in the off season and then have a shorter training camp. But in a normal world, you wouldn't have a shorter training camp because in a normal world, you wouldn't be quarantined. So I feel like because of all those factors, you know, you've got to give guys the opportunity to, to play even with a poor group play. Um, if exact reason, these weren't like fluke wins. I mean, they convincingly won the first round game and yesterday um, they bowled out. So, yeah, I think it almost proves, you know, it kind of really sticks to the point that, you know, you heard from the coaches, about we're treating it as sort of a regular season. Some teams sort of already seem to have it put together, but for teams like the Redwoods, who were just a goal away from being in the championship, and the Chaos, who both, you know, uh, were struggling a lot of the part uh, in those games. Redwoods did a little better sneaking out some wins, but um, they get an opportunity and they prove it versus two good opponents. So here we are. They're in the, they're in the championship. Who would have thought, though? Um, as we joked – in a lot of our pre-tournament pre, uh, episodes and even during, you know, for all we know, X team could go 0-4 and then win the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are with that exact scenario. Yep, we have one team that completely dominated the group play and is now in the championship. We have one team that completely just shit the bed in the group play and is now in the championship because they completely – 360 turn it around here in this final. And the reason, I mean, I don't know if you can really just say like the entire reason why they're now doing better is because Connor Fields isn't on the field. I don't think that's like a justifiable statement. Yes, that's, that's, that's a argument, but I don't think that's like a, a justifiable argument. Like, yeah, the only reason why is because he's not on the field. I mean, I think even they run him in a little bit, you could have some success, but I don't even know if he sees the field again, as we were saying before, I don't think why change anything up. You're, you've been successful here through two games. Are you, who are you going to take out – if you want to run him as a midfielder, who are you going to take out to let him run as a midfielder? Or if you're going to put him at attack, have one of these other guys run as a midfielder. Like, who are you going to – everyone else, all these other six middies on both of these lines are playing phenomenal. Plenty of these guys also have chemistry. I mean, I don't think you touch – I don't think you touch this at all. I think they've got it perfectly, you know, figured out now. Um, I'm really interested to see how the whips are going to match up with this defensively um, just with the way that they set up their offense with having it, you know, above GLE, certain possessions, other possessions there, you know, they have a guy behind um, and just, just the midfield alone. I mean, they tying into, you know, those different kinds of um, formations is because they have two full midfield lines, one that's really speedy and quick and the other one's just brute force you know, two man, you know, more creative. Um, not many teams have that. We talked about how the Atlas had the potential of two really good lines. Um, the, uh, the water dogs had that like sort of five guys rotating hybrid attackmen and all that. But this team has fully shown that they have two lines and a competent attack that really complements those guys really well. And obviously like we keep saying over and over, it's proven to have worked. So I, I'm really intrigued to how they're going to game plan this defensively because quite frankly, it just feels like they've been able to sort of just do what they want in terms of scoring every which way, transition, settled uh, with those two-man games. 
Um, and obviously they've got Blaze Reardon on the other end versus the Whipsnakes offense. So um, I, I think it's going to be a really great matchup. I mentioned before the face-off battle will definitely be one to look out for. Not that it might be incredibly competitive. Who knows? Kelly could just turn up. Um, but with how we've seen Nardella play game and game and game and game again, I imagine that will be there. But how that impacts the game possession-wise and pace-wise, I think this one could either be lower scoring or completely like a 15-13, like a 15-13, 15-14 game, um, high scoring and incredibly entertaining. Uh, and I can't wait. Uh, by the time – well, while we're recording this, it's two days from now, but – it's actually exactly 48 hours from right 12 now. 12.30 on Friday right now, people. 12.30 on the dot. So oh, yeah. um, now it's 12.31. Can't come soon enough. Can't come soon enough. One thing, looking at uh, this chaos team, if they win this game, that means, I mean, based on the group play and based on, you know, obviously what we've been talking about, what we've seen from all these teams, I think it's safe to say that through the first, you know, obviously the group play, Whipsnakes, Archers, Chrome, and whatever order you want to put them, probably Whipsnakes, Chrome, Archers, they were the best three teams. The Chaos are going to be playing all three of them here in this uh, elimination tournament. Obviously, they beat the Chrome. They beat the Archers. And now they're going to be playing the Chaos. One thing that I'm, I know in this last game they were highlighting against the Archers, uh, and Ryan Boyle was highlighting it too on the broadcast, the Chaos out of timeouts. I think they did it twice uh, in this game against the Archers. They did it against Chrome. Out of timeouts went to zone defensively. We haven't seen that uh, at all in this tournament. I know one, I mean, one good mm-hmm. thing, too. Uh, with Marcus Holman. Marcus Holman pointed out the first time. Will Manny pointed out the second time, I know, because it was on gold. So they have those in the uh, the huddle. You know, they're giving us all that insight. It's going to be interesting to see how, if Chaos decides to do that again, if they decide to go to zone a handful of times, being their defensive personnel is kind of sparse. Um, both all these Whipsnakes weapons, you know, go to yeah, zone. That I mean, means you're leaving the two-point arc for Brad Smith and Mike Shannon, Chuck. You're going you're gonna to leave that possibility? No, and I think that's the reason why you rarely see it in the pros is because the way to beat a zone, just like in every other sport, like basketball, if you can shoot, you can beat it. And I think that's why you don't see it because these guys can rip it in the tightest of windows, 100 miles an hour, 90-something miles an hour, and score. You know, Shannon Chuck, we see, doesn't even really need to take a step. He just plants his foot and absolutely fire hose, an absolute fire hose out of that guy. Um so I, I don't – I'm interested because I think with that Archers team, you kind of had, had Schreiber and, like, McKay. But, you know, Manny was sort of a lower angle, lower wing guy, sort of like Holman too. They weren't as concerned with those shooters. So they could come out and do that for, like, once or twice. I don't know if you do that with this whips, especially with someone like Rambo to feed. You know, with a zone, you're not directly pressing out all the time. So you don't want to leave Rambo's hands free. You know, just any of these guys, Brad Smith showing he can get assists. John Hawes can get assists, can finish the ball. Carlson on the inside, especially with a zone, it's sort of what it, that sort of leans itself to like a three-three offense, and that 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 is a very good uh, time for crease guys to operate. So someone like Carlson there too. So I don't know if they do that. Maybe they do, and maybe it works. But if anything, they they probably only do it like one or two possessions just to jam things up especially after teams drop a play, which is probably why they do it. But I, I can't see it any more than that, especially versus this kind of offense. It's going to be a goalie battle here. I think it's going to be an offensive battle as well. So we're going to see which goalie comes out on top, which offense is able to come out on top. There are no lines set yet. I would imagine the Whipsnakes would be favored. I don't know by how many points, though. None of that is out, being that we're 48 hours away. The over-under is not set. However, I mean, we, you said before, we're probably either going to see a high-scoring game or a really low-scoring game. I'm thinking we see more of a high-scoring game. So depending on what the over/under is, I would probably go the over. Uh, but we'll see how high they end up setting it. I'm very excited for this game. This is going to be a uh, heavyweight matchup. And, yeah, I think uh, it's a great. I think it's a good matchup in terms of you know the just the just the teams like units. You know, two really good offenses, two great goalies, one really good goalie. I would say face-offs is definitely it leans one way, but you know, between the midfield, the D middies, you know, both teams have really good guys. Transition wise, they're really good. Like there's just a lot that matches up really well. Like I'm, I'm actually very excited to see how this pans out. I'll be happy with either team winning, honestly. Um, but 
for the sake of the league and the, the sport, I wouldn't like to see a repeat. So I might be a little bit of a chaos fan. Right. Um, I think it'll be better, you know, for another a different team to win and the story of them going 0-4 and obviously coming back and beating the top three seeds would also be pretty cool. So either way, we'll watch, and uh, it's, it's going to be great. Very excited uh, for this matchup. We're going to see two heavyweights go at it. As you said, chaos. They're going to be playing the top three seeds here, three really the three best teams through the group play, and uh, we're going to see if they can get this done tomorrow, 1230 p.m. Eastern. Again, we are recording this Friday, but this is, this is uh, the show is going out on Saturday. So tomorrow, 1230 p.m. Eastern on NBC. Make sure you uh, mark Channel off four. that time on your calendar. What would you say? It's Channel 4, man. Channel 4, 504. Man, on everyone's TVs. Oh, yeah, it's going to be on everything. And then again, I mean, if you don't have NBC Sports Gold, we're going to be without field across now until we get to college. So if I don't, if you don't have NBC Sports Gold, I mean, I would say get it, rewatch all these games. I know I'll be rewatching all these games. We have hockey and basketball and baseball all right now. In a little bit, we won't have all of them, and then we'll have a little bit of a gap probably with the NFL. So be able to watch all these lacrosse games back. Then the NFL will start. We'll get the NLL to start eventually. We don't know when their start date will be. Usually, it's mid to end of November. Uh, we don't know what the deal is with the NBA or NHL, when they'll be getting their 2020-2021 uh, season started. But we'll see. Looking forward to this matchup, though. We don't want to look too far. Looking forward to this game against, with uh, the Whip Snakes and Chaos. Very exciting. Very exciting stuff here as we near the end of this tournament. Any final thoughts here on this championship series final? I just think I think they match up really well. I think the play, the faceoffs are either gonna are play a really big role, or kind of like some of these other games, the Chaos are really are gonna be able to to sort of dictate that pace with how their offense works, and they'll be able to you know score back and forth with the whips rather than them sort of dominating uh, the whip snakes. That is like they did against the um, Chrome with just winning every possession, scoring, taking their time, scoring. I think you're going to see differently. I agree with you. It'll probably be higher scoring. Um, and I think that um, it, it's going to, it's going to rely basically because of that possession difference. I think it's going to rely on blaze um, and just the chaos defense. I think everything else they'll be okay with. I think it's really just how this defense matches up against Zed Williams and Matt Rambo, because not everyone can do what the, the woods did last night. So that's my only concern for them, but um, we'll have to wait and see. They've been pulling – they've been making it work every game, so. We'll see if uh, Jim Stagney can find a way to get Matt Rambo and Zed Williams more involved and get them on the scoreboard. As we were saying, they were both held scoreless, pointless uh, in this, this game against uh, the Redwoods. So, we'll see if they can bounce back. All right, so we just finished up the show, uh, but we're going to just jump on here real quick. I'll throw it in somewhere. But the lines have been released by Fox Bet. Thank you uh, to Pro Lacrosse Bets for making this available to us. The Whipsnakes are favored by two and a half. The over-under is set at 23 and a half. So what are we thinking about that? Um, Ooh, I, don't I know. think uh, – I was think... hoping the Whipsnakes were going to be favored by like a goal and a half. And I was like, yeah, like we'll, we'll push the two. I don't know if you – I don't know if I take that to win by three. To win by three. I took the Whipsnakes to win by three against the Redwoods. and uh, It was three and a half on most books. I got them a mine at two and a half. I think two and a half. I don't know if I'm taking it, but I think I'm taking the over. All right. I think that's what, I'm, I think that's what I'd roll with. I am liking this over. I am liking this over. Final thoughts will be out. Our picks will be out on Twitter, so make sure to follow us at Ron Holspice underscore at T Cunnington underscore Lags. We will be sending our picks for this game, whether it's over under spreads what have you but uh those are the lines we just want to jump back in here real quick just because they were just uh posted or about an hour ago we just haven't been checking twitter here as we were doing the show so lines are out those are the opening lines we'll see if they change at all but that is going to do it for us today the championship series final is set the whip snakes and chaos will meet on sunday at 12 30 eastern on nbc mark off that time in your calendar for over the weekend set your dvr if you're busy and can't watch the game live you don't want to miss this one also make sure to subscribe to behind the back on apple Podcasts, spotify google Podcasts, or anchor if you have not already and subscribe to channel top shelf lax make sure to follow our accounts on instagram and twitter comment and tweet out as your questions 
and comments either at uh, Top Shelf Lax underscore my personal Twitter, Ryan Holspus underscore at Ty's personal Twitter, T Cunnington underscore Lax. We would love to keep these conversations going. So make sure to tweet us your questions and comments and share the show with someone uh, that likes to cross, whether it's a friend, family member, teammate, coach. Um, if they like the PLO, if they like cross, if they have an interest in the league or the sport, share our show with them as we near the end of the 2020 PLO Championship Series next week. And in the weeks to come, we will be recapping the tournament. I'm going to try to get a few players to come back on the show, maybe some coaches. Paul Burmeister, who is doing the play-by-play for these games on NBC, we'll see if he can swing by for a feature here on the show. So the coverage really doesn't end after the tournament is complete. And then before we know it, as I said before, come November, the NLL will hopefully get its 2020-2021 season started, barring any setbacks. If you're paying any attention to the indoor league right now, you'll know that there has been a lot of noise during this free agency period. We'll be catching up on all of that come the end of this championship series. Ryan Holsebus and Ty Cunnington here signing off behind the back returns on Monday morning. We will have a champion at that point. We will have a PLL championship series champion. We will talk to you guys then. Thank you guys all for listening. We appreciate it, and we'll talk to you next time. This has been the Behind the Back Podcast.